um, as we continue to work our way through this, this last letter of Paul uh, to Timothy, last week we looked at verse 9 where he says, Do thy diligence to come shortly unto me. Paul was, has gotten to the point of this letter where he's giving some personal instructions to Timothy. He'll go on to say, Bring my cloak and bring the parchments. But he says, I want you to come diligently unto me. Come shortly unto me, quickly. He says in verse 10, one of the reasons he needs Timothy so bad is because, verse 10, he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. I ask that you pray for me this morning as we look at Demas. For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. Um, I, want, I want to look today at who, who was Demas, and um, what, what did Demas do? Why did he do it? But more importantly, what can we learn from it? And the first three will be, should be pretty short and sweet, because you say, who was Demas? You know, probably if you asked a lot of even Bible students, who was Demas, um, very few would know much about Demas. He's only mentioned three times in the scriptures. Uh, this is the final time that he is mentioned. Uh, so there's not a lot said about him, but I think there's a lot we can learn from this man. In, in the book of Colossians chapter 4, I believe it's the first time he's mentioned, in the 14th verse, Paul says, this, now this is when Paul's imprisoned, he says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. So as he's writing this letter to the church at Colossae, he says, Luke, the writer of one of the New Testament Gospels, a traveling companion of Paul, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. They send their greetings unto the church at Colossae. So we see that he, he was so fond of Paul that he was with him even in his imprisonment in Rome. And then in the book of Philemon, the 23rd verse, he says that, that Demas was a fellow laborer with Paul. The 23rd verse, he says, There salute thee, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus. And then the 24th verse, he says, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Right there with Mark, Marcus, John Mark, and, and, and Luke, we have writers of of New Testament Gospels, we have right in the middle of them, this man Demas is listed. And Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says he's my fellow laborer. He's a companion with me. He's a helper with me. He's a co-worker with me. This is a, this is a Christian minister. This is someone who's devoted their life to the cause of Christ. You know, to be with Paul as he's imprisoned means that you're devoted, right? You know, Paul would said that all that were in Asia had forsaken him, that They'd all left him in prison, as we've talked about in 2 Timothy. Um, they were ashamed of his chains. Uh, they were ashamed of what had happened to him. And so many Christians had pulled back their love and, and compassion towards Paul. But here's Demas, who is with him and is laboring with him. He's, um, you know, he's, he's, he is giving his life, his time, his money, his passion to the church and to the cause of Christ. And then the third time, and the last, the final time that we have this man mentioned to us, Paul says, Demas hath forsaken me, 
having loved this present world and has departed unto Thessalonica. So as we ask the question, what, what did Demas do? Well, he labored in the church until he deserted Paul. He forsook him. Um, that word forsaken means to abandon or to desert. One of the definitions I found was to leave in straits or to leave helpless. You know, our military has a policy that they don't leave any man behind. No matter the situation, you go in to get your fellow soldiers. You don't forsake them. Well, that's what Demas did to Paul. When Paul needed him most, as he's begging Timothy, please come shortly unto me, he would he'd go on to say, only Luke is with me in verse 11. Luke hadn't deserted him. Then he says, take Mark and bring him with you. Mark was willing to come back. Mark hadn't left the cause. Mark hadn't deserted him. But yet Demas had forsaken him. He had, and that, that word forsaken indicates that he had left him at a time when he needed him most. You know, he had deserted him. He had, he had left him behind. And so why did Demas do this? Why, what would cause Demas, a, a fellow laborer, a Christian soldier, one who, one who had, had committed himself so much to the cause of Christ that he would be with Paul in Rome as he's in prison, he would travel with Luke, he would travel with Mark, what would cause him to desert this apostle Paul? You know, you've got preachers I'm sure that you love, and if they came through Birmingham, Brother Sam Bryan, if he came through Birmingham, I bet everyone here would open up their home to him and say, you can spend as much time as you want. We love him. He labored here for many years. There's nothing, there's, there's nothing that you, if you could give him, uh, whatever you could give him, you'd do that for him, right? I, I feel like you'd do that for me. We'd do that for each other. But imagine he calls you in, in great need, and you just turn your back on him. That's what Demas has done to Paul. And as much as I love Brother Sam, or as much as you love me, we're not Paul. I mean, this is, the, outside of Jesus Christ, maybe the greatest man in the Bible that, is, that has committed his life to the cause. And when he needs Demas the most, he, he forsakes him. He deserts him. And, and we don't have to wonder why, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he says, having loved this present world and what he is saying there is that Demas was so pleased with this world we talked about that just before we sang Amazing Grace right he was so pleased he was he was gripping onto this world one, one of the things to, to love one of the definitions for that is to be content with a thing he was so content with this world that he left his duty his discipleship or his Christian service to Paul at the time when Paul needed him most. What Paul's saying there is this world satisfied Demas. There's a lot of people who are satisfied by this world. They're satisfied by the, the lights and the, um, you know, the, there's just a lot of trappings in this world that will mesmerize you, right? And they will, you'll long for them. We're going to talk about that, but but I, maybe I'll get ahead of myself, but I, you know, Demas, I don't know what happened to Demas. We don't know. Maybe he came back. You know, there was a time when Mark and, and Paul had a disagreement in the book of Acts. So much so that he, de, he departs with Barnabas. He says, you go with Mark and I'll go this way. But yet here at the end of his life, he says, take Mark and bring him back with you. Isn't that a beautiful picture of Christian love and repentance and, and, and how we can build bridges, we can mend fences, we can, 
you know, Christian people are the kind of people that can love you through thick and thin. <laughs> because we, we believe in a God who loves us when we were unlovable, right? <laughs> a God who reached out to us before we ever reached out to him. A God who initiated our love before we initiated any repentance towards him. So we can, we can love others. What a great picture that Mark, here at the end of, of Paul's life, he says, I want you to bring Mark with me. So we don't know what happened to Demas. Maybe Demas re repented of, of his love for this world and came back to the cause. We don't know. But we know at this time, when Paul needed him the most, he was so satisfied with this world that he, he forsook Paul. But I can guarantee you this, if he didn't come back, Demas died a lonely person longing for something that he couldn't have because this world will never fill you. How many, how many um, uh, movie stars or, or you know, famous singers or famous people have you known that, that they longed for something they weren't getting with fame and with money and with power? They were still longing for something that they couldn't fill. That's what the world, you know, a love for the world will leave you longing for something that you can only find in God. But it was this love for this present world that drove Demas to forsake our beloved Apostle Paul. So I want to spend the rest of my time looking at, 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 at what we can learn from this. You know, it's good to know who Demas was. What did he do? Um, you know, why did he do it? Re recently, we, uh, this, this week, we, we, like many of you, we've been down and out all week. <laughs> Um, Brother Wayne asked me the date earlier. I said, Brother, I, I, I'm just glad I knew it was Sunday. <laughs> because, you know, you ever done that? Or you just, you're just laying around and you're not doing anything. You don't know what day it is. And so we started playing trivia on uh, YouTube. They have all these, like, logos. They'll put up a logo, and you've got to guess it within 10 seconds. And, um, um, you know, that was, that was eye-opening to me, some of the things my kids knew that I didn't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> once again, made me feel old. But, um <laughs> Finally, I went to 30 Bible trivia questions, <laughs> and, and I heard moans and groans from the, <laughs> not because they didn't want to do the Bible trivia, but they said, Dad, you're the pastor, you're going to kill us. <laughs> I said, well, why do you think I chose the Bible trivia? I wanted, I wanted to win. <laughs> they beat me at Logos, I went to the Bible. Um, so it might be good to know who Demas was, maybe you're playing Bible trivia with your pastor one day. And you want to know that. That's good to know. But we really want to know what we can learn from Demas, right? What can we take home today that'll, that'll help us in this life? And so what I, what I want to express to you today is that the world, or sometimes you might hear it called worldliness, is a serious threat to me and you. No matter our age, no matter our ability, our, our knowledge, even if we're 30 for 30 on the Bible trivia, the world is still a grave threat to us as Christian people because the, the amount of, of time we spend desiring the things of this world will directly impact our faithfulness to the cause. And, and we really need to comprehend that threat because if a man who had given up his life to spend time with the Apostle Paul, one that the Apostle Paul would, would, would account with Mark and with Luke as a fellow laborer, if he could be drawn away by the lust of this world, can't we all do it? We could all do it. And you know, it's important to know your enemy. And the world is your enemy. Um, James said this, James 4.4. 4. He says, Know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore be a friend of the world 
is the enemy of God. You know, God's enemies are our enemies, and the enemy of God is this world. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It puts enmity between you and God, and, um, and that is our enemy. So I want to look at what is the world, and, and we're going to, um, you know, when I think about what is, when I hear that word world, and, and, and maybe this just probably just uh, describes how warped I am, but I have two visions that come in my mind. One's that that long-fingered preacher. Y'all ever seen that guy that gets up here and maybe not here, but y'all seen him portrayed on TV and they they talk about rock and roll music and Elvis Presley. <laughs> and, you know, if you play Kiss backwards on your record player, it has satan- satanic messages. Y'all, y'all have heard that, right? I don't even know how you play a record backwards. How do y'all do that? Um, I think about that. Then I think about cults. I'm infatuated with some of the cults. I was watching a... <laughs> Watching a documentary this week on a, on a, on a cult, and, the, and, and you know, I'm infatuated by the uh, the power that some men can have over others, that how they can brainwash people. And one of the things you see about um, a cult, you know, whatever it may be, um, is that is that they have this. They they a lot of them scare their people about the world to such a degree where they don't interact with the world. They don't want them out in the world. There's a, there's a movie. I saw this in high school. I'm not recommending it. I think it's called The Village, M. Night Shyamalan. Y'all know who that is, a director? And um, there's this, the, the whole premise, if you haven't seen it by now, it's been 20 years since I graduated from high school, I'm going to blow it for you. The whole premise is they've built this culture uh, within the confines of this park, and, and the, the, the men and women that are born there have been raised there. They don't know there's anything outside of those walls. Um, well, there's some... There's some wisdom in that, right? Uh, there's a lot of music we probably shouldn't listen to. And there's a lot of things and places that we shouldn't go. But, but God, God even called on his disciples. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And if, you're, if they were going to go into the world, which at one point it says we've, we've spread the, the word to the whole world. The known world had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. If they were going to go into the world, they were going to interact with worldly people, Right? They were going to interact with worldly influences. The Bible says you can't, you know, you can't altogether escape the world. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. But we need to know, uh, since, we're, since we're not going to withdraw uh, from the world altogether, we need to know what the world is like. I'm going to give you a few descriptions from Scripture. You don't have to turn to all these. Uh, I can give you the list later. Uh, number one, the, the kingdom of God is, is in direct opposition to the world. Jesus said to his disciples, John 18, verse 36, he says, My kingdom is not of this world. When we talk about the kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy, the kingdom of God, the the manifest kingdom of God being the church of God here on earth, uh, we know that this is not something that is of this world. It wasn't created uh, in this world. This is an invention of heaven. As, 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 as messed up as the people in the church may be at times, and, and as, as many times as we may get it wrong, you, know, you, you need to understand that the church today is, a, is, the, is the manifestation of the kingdom of God to earth. When, 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 the, when the people of the world uh, look to what is, what is the kingdom of God, they look to the church. And so Jesus says the church, or the kingdom, which is bigger than the church, the kingdom of God is not of this world. You know, the, 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 one of the reasons that the kingdom of God is not of this world is because we have a king that is not of this world. We have a king that is sitting on a throne in heaven outside of this world that he created. We, have, we, we sang, um, 
you know, it's, it's about Christmas time, right? One of the Christmas verses, we sang Hark the Herald Angel Sings earlier. One of the Christmas verses, Isaiah 9, 6, it ends by saying he's the everlasting father, the prince of peace, right? So our king, the king of the kingdom of God is the prince of peace. See, if, if peace is not reigning within your life, then you know you're living outside of the kingdom because Jesus brings peace to his, his obedient children. And so we have the prince of peace. Uh, but the kingdom of this world or this world has their own prince. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says, Wherein in times past you walked according to the course of this world. The course of the way this world works. He says, According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. He says there's a prince of the power of the air. Verse 30 of John chapter 14, Jesus himself says, Hereafter I will not talk much with you for the prince of this world. I said that this world, um, you know, and, and, and Satan, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, he will counterfeit everything that God does. And so he's going to have a prince of this world. They're going to have a, a leader, a king, a prince. And he says, the prince of this world comes and hath nothing in me. Aren't you glad that he says he has nothing in me? He's talking about devil, the devil or Satan. Listen to this. from This is John Gill. I quote him often. He says, the reason why Christ chooses to use uh, the prince of this world uh, rather than to say Satan or the devil comes is partly to point out what a powerful adversary he had and was about to engage with. Christ was about to go to the cross to, to battle, to engage Satan on your behalf, right? And he was going to what? He was going to crush his head, right? Genesis 3.15, he was going to crush it. This wasn't, this, it wasn't like Satan was a, uh, it wasn't a fair fight for Satan, let's say that. But he was, he was an adversary. He's a roaring lion. So he wants him to know what a, what a powerful adversary he has and was going to engage with. And partly, he says, to observe to his disciples what they must expect from the world. See, Jesus was going to go back to heaven. He's leaving his disciples in the world. What were they to expect? He says, hatred and persecution. Since Satan is the prince of it and had such powerful influence over the minds of the men of it. The prince of this world is influencing this world. He's influencing the leaders of this world. He's influencing the people of this world. You remember earlier in Ephesians 2.2, it said the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. You know, God has a spirit, but the world has a spirit. This is from uh, 1 Corinthians 2.12. Uh, Paul says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God. So he's saying, you know, when you talk about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit comes into your life and influences you. It, 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 it sanctifies you. It changes your desires. It changes the things you, 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 you hold dear. It changes the way you, you want to walk, right? Well, there's a, that's the Spirit of God. But he says there is a, an influence or something that, that, that influences or motivates people, and it's of the world. John wrote 1 John 4.1. He said, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says out in the world there's many false doctrines or false prophets. The world has its own wisdom. Listen to 1 Corinthians 3.19. He says, for the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Have you all ever seen somebody saying something and they think they sound so um, intellectual, but you hear it and you say, this is just, I can't believe somebody would believe that. 
That's the wisdom of this world. Um, he goes on in the seventh chapter in verse 31, he talks about the fashion of this world that passes away. There's a, there's a fashion or a way of life that this world has that's going to pass away, Paul says to the Corinthians. And that's one thing we'll see as we look at the kingdom of God and, and, and the world is that the world is temporary, the kingdom of God is eternal. He, he, would, he would tell the Corinthians later, I believe it's the 15th chapter, that when Christ returns, he's going to deliver up the kingdom to the Father. The kingdom will be here forever, but the world passes away. Um, here, let's think about the things that the world accomplishes or the things that they, 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 they try to do. They're evil. Um, this is God. This is Jesus. John 7, verse 7. He says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hates because I testify of it. <laughs> he says, This is what I'm testifying of the world from the, from the words of Jesus Christ. He says that the works thereof of the world are evil. <laughs> They're evil. They're bad, is what he's saying. Um, we could go on and on. In Matthew chapter 13, we have the parable of the sower. And that third group that did not persevere, it says it was um, it, it, that, that what got them was the deceitfulness of riches and the cares of this world. See, the, 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 the thing that choked out the word in that group, and, and one thing that the world hates is the word of God, right? It hates the word of God. The word of God's been attacked. It's been under attack since the garden uh, when um, Satan was trying to, to twist the words of God to eat. But, but the, the world will choke out the word in you, right? Your love for the word and your belief of the word, the more you get involved with uh, the cares of this world, and we all have to be in the world and we all have to take care of things, but the more we care for this world, uh, the more we're deceived by the riches and the things that, that, that is the things that this world values, the more it chokes out the word within us. Um, in the book of Galatians, I believe Paul gives the most concise and probably the best definition of the world that we can find in Scripture. He says in verse 4, speaking of Christ, he says, Who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. <laughs> that's, that's, that's concise, to the point, but it's so accurate. Paul says it's here. You have to deal with it. It's present. It's not absent. It's here, and it's bad. It's present, and it's evil, and it's the world, and you have to deal with it. So I think you can see from the descriptions that we find in Scripture that it's something that we should really have on our radar <laughs> that we don't want to get obsessed with or caught up with the world. We see that as a description. I'll try to define it for you um, for, for a moment. There's several Greek words that, that are translated world uh, in, in our Bible. Um, the, the one that's, that's used here in verse 10 is, 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 is ion or aion or ion. Um, and, and it's used 37 times in the New Testament as world. I think it's once as worlds. Um, but that, that word is used more to talk about a period of time or an age, right? A period of, of, of time, um, you know, in world history or a certain age uh, that may, um, may come about through, through life. Um, but that's the one that's used here in verse 10. Um, all the other worlds that we mentioned today and those verses that we went through is cos cosmos, which is used, I believe, 185 times in the Bible. That's, um, 
That's not the word that's used here in verse 10, uh, but, but I think we'll be able to see as we go through exactly uh, how, how we can define this. Uh, you know, it's interesting that in Ephesians 2.2, we talked about the course of this world. Uh, the word course was translated from that ion word, and world was cosmos. We can see they go together, right? It's the course of this world, the spirit of this age. And so uh, when we see this, this cosmos world, that's the, that's the word that's used in John 3.16, uh, where, where, the, where um, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So it can be used as, as to describe this universe or describe the people of the world. There it's being used. A lot of times it's used to distinguish the Gentiles from the Jews. So what in John 3.16, what Jesus is telling Nicodemus is, God doesn't just love the Jews, he loves Jews and Gentiles. For God so loved the world, a mind-blowing statement to a Pharisee in first century Israel. He says, for, for God so loved the world. Um, but, but in a lot of those verses that we uh, just read, uh, if, if you look it up like in, in a Strong's Concordance or a, or a Thayer's Lexicon, you can go back and check me on this, and, and you should do that from time to time. Make sure, you know, try the spirits. <laughs> um, what you'll see is the first definition or the first description of that word will be an order or a government or a system, okay? And so the, the, the primary definition for that word world as we've seen it is, is it's just a system or a way of doing things. That's what it is. Uh, John MacArthur uh, described it this way. He's a, he's a very popular preacher. Uh, he said that 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 the world is a man-centered, Satan-directed system of this present age. You see how it brings in both of those words? It's a system of this present age, a man-centered, Satan-directed system of this present age. Brother Michael Goins, uh, who's preached here for us before, he, he defined it this way in his book of fir- on 1 John. It's an invisible, spiritual system of living. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? An invisible spirit. It's invisible, it's spiritual, and it's a system of living that is opposed to God. So when you have warnings about the world, uh, the world that lies in wickedness, um, it is an invisible spiritual system of living that is opposed to God. So that is our enemy, right? This, this, This thing that we can't directly see we see the effects of it right it's like the wind jesus told nicodemus in john 3 the wind blows where it listeth where that's where it pleases john 3 8 he says you hear the sound of it um, but you can't tell where it comes or whether it goes so is everyone that's born of the spirit of god what 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 he's telling nicodemus there is that the spirit of god that regenerates all of god's people is like the wind you can't look out and see the wind blowing you can see the effects of the wind blowing, right? You can see the, the waves uh, moving or the, the leaves shaking or, or, or whatever it may be, something blowing down the road. You can see the effects of the wind. You don't actually see the wind. Well, we, see, we don't see the world. We don't see this invisible world system or this, this structure or this government or this order that's shaping uh, minds and shaping people, but we see the effects of it, right? We see addiction and broken homes and broken churches and and, and, and just broken lives and corrupt governments and corrupt corporations and corrupt people because the world corrupts. You say, what is the goal of the world? The world is, this, this system that's out there is not neutral, right? 
I've heard people say, you know, like in, when they're raising their children, we want to let, we want to be kind of neutral. We want to let our children uh, decide for themselves how they're going to live or, or uh, you know, where they're going to go to church and all that. Now, there's going to be a time that they do decide, but if you're neutral, you're already behind the eight ball because the world's not neutral, right? You need to be involved in, in, um, in, in teaching them and discipling them uh, because the world is after them and you, <laughs> Like, we need to be on guard because the world is after us. It's trying, to, it's trying to steal our affection. The world wants you to love it. And, and, and if it can get our affections, the goal, the goal of the world is to mold us into its image. To mold our lives into the image of the world. And if you look around... See, the kingdom of God, you can, this is Romans chapter 14, is, 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 is righteousness, peace, and joy. He says it's not meat and drink. It's not something physical that you can lay hold on. But it's, it's, it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. It's something you experience. And so that's the effects. Once again, you can't see the kingdom of God. These walls aren't the kingdom of God. The, the, you know, the speakers, the, the pulpit, that's not the kingdom of God. That's just the church building, right? We can't see, visibly see this kingdom, but we see the effects of it and the people of it, right? When the same way that you don't see the world system, you see the effects of it. And it's not righteousness, it's not peace, and it's not joy. It's destruction, it's unrighteousness, it's unhappiness, it's depression, it's anxiety. It's the things that don't come from God. Those are the effects of the world. And, and when, when the world wants to conform you to... See, Paul would tell the Romans, he says, be not conformed to this. This is Romans 12 too. He says, be not conformed to this world. Don't let this world mold you into its image. It wants to mold you and, and, and sift you. And, 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 and by the time the world's done with you, it wants you to resemble what the world, uh, what, what, the, the end product of the world, and it's not... Peace, right? It's chaos. What the world wants you to do is it wants you to act like the world and think like the world and spend your time and your money like the world and dress like the world and live like the world. And it will, it will mesmerize you and it will make you think that is where life really is and then it leaves you empty. See, Demas deserted Paul for the world and if Demas didn't repent and come back, I can guarantee you the world deserted Demas when it needed him or when he needed it because it's a liar. <laughs> it's amazing to me that God's goal for our life is sanctification, right? It's what God wants for our lives. His goal, his plan for our lives is that we might be sanctified. The world has a goal and a plan for your life, and that's desecration. See, God wants to take unholy, God, God does. He takes unholy, dirty things like me and you. Our righteousnesses, the Bible says, before God are filthy rags. But he takes those and he cleans us up and he, he makes us meat for the master's use. He sanctifies us. He takes unholy things and makes them holy so that they can be used in the service of God. And the world wants to take the things that God has made holy and desecrate them to dirty them up so they're not fit for the service of God. That's the difference. 
sanctification or desecration. And the way they do that is through our affections, the things we long for. I'm about to wrap it up, but when, when, when Moses was instructing the children of Israel in Deuteronomy, we, we go to this chapter a lot, chapter 6, he's re-giving the law, and, and he says in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And, and, and here's what they're going to need above all as they go into this land, which, which by the way, they're going to get houses that they didn't build. They're going to, to have vineyards and gardens that they didn't plant. They're going to be blessed with prosperity when they go into this land. They're going to have to drive out the idols of this land that the world um, idolized. And so God says what you need is you're going into this land so that you're not mesmerized, you're not drawn to the things of this world, is you're going to need to love me. He says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thine soul, and with all thy might. He says, all your heart, all your soul, all that you have, all your might, you're going to need to love me because you're going into a battlefield for your soul. Do y'all see that? There's going to be uh, temptations all around you. The idols of this world will be all around you. Prosperity will be all around you. And you better love me. And, and, and this is true that to whatever extent we love the world, we cannot be loving God with that same love. Does that make sense? First um, John 2 verse 15, he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so what, what, what he is saying there is to the extent that you love the world, you're not loving the Father. You've, you, you've pushed the love of the Father, or the love for God out, and you're loving the world. He goes on to talk about the lust of this world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. None of those are from God. Um, so let's, let's, let's conclude this message when, when Paul says that Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, as I said earlier, and I, don't, I normally don't get te this technical, if you can even call this technical, but when he uses the, the, the word ion, this world, this age, um, you know, he doesn't use the, the more frequently translated word cosmos for world. He uses that word ion there. That for, for, that which means period of time. What Paul is saying here is that Demas was enticed by the spirit of this age which was molded or created or formed by the system of this world. And he says that was so powerful that it drew away a faithful fellow laborer from the cause of Christ back to this world. Is that sobering to you all? It's sobering to me. So today, our battle is with the spirit of this age. And there's people that are losing their children, their loved ones, people that are losing, there's churches that are losing members who are, who are they are forsaking the cause because they're being enticed by the spirit of this age, by this society. See, because it, it has its goals and its dreams and its morals and its values and, you know, ideas and beliefs. The world has one just like the kingdom has one. And, 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 and even faithful disciples 
are becoming unfaithful because they're being drawn by the lust of this world, this present evil world. So he says, For Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world, and is departed unto Thessalonica. You know, there's two letters to the churches of Thessalonica. There were churches in Thessalonica. You can go watch the local news tonight and just know just because there's a church in Birmingham doesn't mean that Birmingham's a godly place, right? Y'all understand that, right? He says he has departed unto Thessalonica. Thessalonica was a wealthy city. It was a pagan city. It was a sexually immoral city. It's a good picture of the world, isn't it? And, and for all of us today, Thessalonica, just like it was to Demas, is crying out to us, forsake Paul, forsake the cause, forsake the church, forsake that way of life that you were brought up in, because it's better over here. I want to I close with these words. Mark 8, 36. Y'all go home and read these. Jesus says, for what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? and lose his own soul. Think about that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would use this case of Demas to sober us up, to know that no matter how long we've been in the church, no matter how faithful we think we are, no matter how often we've read our Bible, how many verses we've memorized, how much we've given. None of that is a safeguard against this world. We know the thing that we need is to love you more than we love this world. Help us not to grip this world so hard that we can't let go and love you. Whatever it may be that's drawing us, the flashing lights of this world, the Thessalonicas that are, that are calling unto us to depart from this place and to join with them. Lord, give us the strength to forsake them so that we do not forsake you. Lord, help us through your spirit, through your word, through your church to be more and more sanctified and become practically holy as we live our lives so that we can be better servants of you help us god to forsake the powers of this world that that desire to desecrate the ones you've made holy god i pray for all those who are sick among us i pray that next week we would there'd be more that could could be here that would feel like being here there would be I pray, Lord, that you'd open up doors, that there'd be people that we've never met before who will be here next week to hear from your word, to sing praises to you, to pray to you, to be together, to sacrifice their time and their attention to you, because that is worship. We want to worship you, Lord. May we cast our crowns at your feet, because you are worthy. God, again, strengthen us as we go into battle the systems of this world that aim to conform us to their image, and may we run to you for safety. Because we know, Lord, in this world, we shall have tribulation. Let us be at peace knowing that you 
have overcome this world. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We'll sing a hymn at this time, give an opportunity for anyone here that would like to come forward and unite with the church. Uh, you can come forward at this time and, and let that desire be known. Brother Taylor, Brother Joshua, either you have a number.